Mornings at 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover, Javelin's Bistro. Welcome to Javelin's Bistro. Happy New Year's to you. I am your host for the next half hour. I am Javelin. Before I get started with today's show, I want to uh, give a special, wonderful call out to an artist that lives in Houston that I'm hoping to have a longer interview on the show. Today is her 12th birthday. And she is an artist in the world of storytelling. She's also, I would call, um, improvisational human being which is uh, going to be really interesting because I'm going to have her listen to the show to my guest who is the queen of improv here in the <laughs> Bay Area one of the queens <laughs> of improv and happy birthday Nadia Washington <clears throat> in Houston who woke her mother up at 1201 last night crying dramatically as an artist and said to her mother and I want us to think about this here she says I am so glad that the year of 11 is over and that now I can begin the 12th year of my life is what she means. And she understands as a girl woman, she's about to head into a whole nother journey. Happy birthday, Nadia. Today's guest, as I said, one of the queens of improv, Joya Corey, is here in the studio with me. And we're going to talk about her book, Two Worlds of... of at what, the same time? At the same... <laughs> two Worlds at the same time, which she understands. She's going to talk about the students that she's worked with over the years, what got her into this, and then also the passing of her husband and how uh, Richard and how improv and art has helped her and is helping her in the healing process. And she's going to give away. She's going to give away class tickets for folks to come join her class in the East Bay and also in San Francisco. That's going to be happening in April. Where she's going to take a hiatus uh, for some surgery, surgery that she's going to have, uh, but then she'll be back in April, and she's going to have two free passes for our lucky audience members when I open up the phone lines and the number that you'll be calling. So get ready for that is five one zero eight four eight four four two five. I'm going to give that number out probably in about fifteen minutes. So, but just to get ready for that, and so here we are. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jovelyn. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, and it's wonderful. And you came all the way inside oh, of this. And the this terrible rain. Terrible and so rain. On. But, you know, it's nothing like live radio. It's nothing like live radio. Yeah. My first question, and I'm going to ask it probably from a 12-year-old point of view. How did you get started? in this world of, of art and improv. How did you get started? And did you know at the age of 12? Um, well, I probably know sort of knew non-specifically. Starting much younger than 12, I used to put on shows for my parents. And actually, I was just writing something the other day about how I used to boss my little sisters around, and I was the director. And uh, I, I'm uh, five and a half years older than the sister right under me and seven years older than the one under her. So... Um, I would, uh, we would, 
makeup shows and songs and uh, my mother used to have all these albums from musical songs like West Side Story and well that was later on um, The Pajama Game uh, Lost in the Stars Oklahoma these old um, musical theater and she would have the records and she'd play these songs my mother would a lot so we would learn some of the songs and I would force my sisters to do what they I wanted them to do <laughs> which of course I was so much bigger they were happy to do it and, and then we would put on these shows so I probably started doing that at around seven or eight. So I think uh, I wasn't thinking about my future as an adult. It's just what children do. They're creative. I have two little grandsons, and you do not need to teach children how to improvise, right? Or how it's part of their uh, natural development as human beings. Character play, storytelling, that, you know, making up stuff, taking stuff up. And making up a whole world with those two sticks. Absolutely. And so you moved forward into the world and it stayed with you. Well, what happened is, uh, as a child, starting at around four years old, I wanted to take dance lessons. And I had an aunt, Aunt Ethel, who taught lyric dance. That's Isadora Duncan, barefoot tunics, silk scarves, <laughs> that kind of dance. And um, uh, I went to her classes. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And then my mother, I suppose, didn't know if you give your daughter dance lessons as they get older, it has to be ballet because that's all that occurred to her. So I took ballet until I was about... Uh, 19 years old, 20 years old, then I decided I hated it. And I went kind of wandering around looking for something else, and I discovered Anna Halperin, who is a postmodern dance innovator, still alive, still teaching at 98 years old, a cancer survivor twice, kind of amazing. So um, I discovered Anna, and that was the first, that was, you know, ballet is not in the least bit improvisational. It's very structured, right? And uh, Anna's method was completely improvised. It was, you know, you did a lot of movement training, but there were never any steps. There was not choreography. You made up whatever you were doing on the spot. Sometimes you'd make something up and then sort of notate it and repeat it, usually not. So that was really my introduction to improvisation through dance, not through theater yet. And then I was going to college, uh, taking a theater major and stuff like that and then I started taking classes at almost at the same time as Anna Halpern with a group called the committee who were in North Beach and they were people from Second City of Chicago who'd come out and started an improv theater and that was topical improv comedy very political very uh, full of interesting content and very different process and results than what I was doing with Anna which was so intuitive and very completely body-based. And eventually there was, we, we used words, but uh, they were sort of the cream. And so I was studying both of those forms. And I liked them both, but the, the physical life was really important to me to keep that and to, to keep in touch with those kind of impulses that, you know, all, all our memory, everything's in the body. And so our impulses are really all in the body. It's, it's all there, everything emotional, it's in the body. So... When I'm teaching, I always start with the physical warm-up. So let's go back, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm jumping it. ahead. Yeah, let's, well, let's slow it down a little bit and let's, so that the audience can get an, an opportunity to, one, we've, we've taken, you've taken us through the journey of being introduced to playing in the house with the music your mother had and being a director, and then you go into dance and then the formal, formal dancing, and then you begin to do improv and recognize you're really attracted to that. Oh, so yeah. That was there. When did you, so now we're going to teaching, when did you decide you wanted to teach and you wanted to teach improvisation? Well, uh, 
it was actually when I was studying with Anna Halpern at the Dancers Workshop. And I met another woman there called Suzanne Helmuth. And she and I started a troupe together um, called Motion, the Women's Performing Collective. This was, we got our nonprofit status in 1971. So we're talking a long time ago. And um, we were both still studying with, with Anna Halpern at the Dancers Workshop on Visadero Street in the city. And one day a teacher uh, couldn't come to teach a class, one of Anna's classes. And uh, I was there and she said, oh, can you teach this class? And I had wasn't even really through with my course with her. I'd spent two years with her in this intensive program where we went four days a week. But I said, sure, you know, uh, 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 <laughs> I think I can. And then, so I did. She told me what, you know, what material she wanted included and I did it. And I really liked it. And that, I really hadn't thought about teaching much until then. And then I thought, oh, wow, yeah, I like this. This feels good. This is fun. So that's how I got started. And, and then over, the, over your time of teaching, you began to tweak it more to your own foundation, which is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking that you put a lot of that in your book that, Yes, the book. Two worlds at the same time. Two worlds at the same time. Full spectrum improvisation for the theater and life. For the theater and life. Uh Give out the website so folks can know how to to get hold of you. All kinds of info about my book and my classes. www.joyacory.com. It's all there. So when you say for art and life, tell me how improv impacts your life has impacted your life and some of your students what if they walked away yes 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 um yeah for you know i sometimes i've had students say you know this is cheaper than therapy and much more fun um in all kinds of ways just you know artistic uh, creativity really any art form drawing music dance theater writing i think it's all therapeutic because i think we're made to do it i think self-expression in one form or another is is intrinsically part of our humanity and i so when when people come to class sometimes in beginner classes people come they say oh i'm not creative right you know i have no imagination (laughs) i say well you were born with one you know that isn't something you have to acquire. But what happens is over the years of being socialized, people get ideas about themselves that that squelch and limit their own self-expression. And so a lot of, I, I, I feel like what I teach a lot is pushing away those blockages and coaxing them away and through technique and through practice and through play so that people can can find their real impulses, their real creative impulses, you know, so that they begin to have access to them. And a lot of the training that I do is really getting access to that and and dealing with the inner critic. Everybody knows that term in the Bay Area, right? <laughs> so when you say their creative impulses, can you tell yeah. us a little bit more about that? What that means. Yeah, what does it mean? Yeah. How does it show up or sh- not show up yes. in a person's body because they have been it's been layered with the other parts of we got to get through life so right. we got a, right. a grocery list of things that needs to happen exactly what is creative pulse so how when one listening to us right now could maybe identify that in their body or or in yeah. their imagination yeah um well it is imagination it's imag- a combination of imagination and intuition mm-hmm. and you know, people say sometimes my mind is a blank. 
that never really happens unless you're a, some great Buddhist meditator. Maybe Really what happens when somebody says my mind is a blank is that an impulse for something to say or do has come to them and their inner critic has come in and said, oh, that's stupid, don't do it. So that blockage is sort of like blocking up the road for any creative impulse. Like, this is the thing your, your being wants to do or say, but you're saying don't do it. So therefore, nothing much else is happening because you got to get, that thing is in the way. The reality of what you need to express is in the way. Is that similar to when we hear people say, out of the mouth of babes? Yeah. In a, it, well, that's innocent. to say something yeah. that, according to what their, whatever situation they just, or things that they've heard, like all of a sudden, aunt so-and-so right. comes through the door and everyone's talking and right. the kid says, oh, aunt so-and-so farts sound like a right. symphony. Oh. And then the parents go, oh my <laughs> God, why, why? And because the kid has heard that, it was funny then to that's them, right. it's funny it. now. Even your instinct was to lie. It's funny. Right, it's funny. And then, of course, the consequences come behind that with the child. Right. If, so if you if you chastise the child for doing then that. Then all of a sudden you. they know that, don't, A, don't repeat what I've heard. So then, therefore, that undermines what they've heard That's from right. their parents. That's right. People. So all kind of layered things can happen. Right. And they don't know really what's okay to say and what isn't. Start you know? to filter Oh, themselves. actually, I have to tell this story real fast okay, about my grandson. <laughs> yeah. It's your time. <laughs> I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old grandson who are the loves of my life. And um, I often spend time over them with them, and they're in Alameda. And one day I was over with my seven-year-old, and he was taking a bath. And he had been learning about water displacement. I think his father had taught him. And he was in the bathtub, and he looked at me, and he said, Bubby, calls me Bubby, we're Jewish. Bubby, would you get in the bathtub with me? Because you're big, and you'll displace the water, and then it'll come up to my chest. And his parents weren't letting him have real deep water because of the water shortage at the time, right? So you get in because of the water displacement. So I thought, okay, I'll get in. So I took my clothes off, and I got in, I sat down, and he looks at me, and he says, Bubby, your boobies are in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> they're down there and they're supposed to be up here. <laughs> and he points at his upper chest because oh. I'm old. <laughs> and you so, haven't and you haven't been to the, one of the LA surgeons. I haven't been to any surgeon. <laughs> and my their boobies are in the wrong. So, you know, I thought that I loved that he said that. And in no way was I going to reprimand him. Of course. So he'll say things like that that are very funny and many other things tell me stories because nobody tells him not to. In regards to some of the students you've had, the students that you've worked with over the years, have you seen anyone come in in your memory right now on the air, Joya, that you saw such a transformation from, hello, my name is Mm so-and-so, to... All the time. All the time. One one snapshot of one of those people. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm thinking of Dave. I won't say his last name. He's been studying with me off and on now about 15 years. And it doesn't always take that long, but it takes a long time to change your habits. It it takes a long time to deal with your inner critic and, and, you know, dig away all the sort of garbage that's obstructing your creativity. But Dave came in and he had been writing stand-up comedy, but he was very shy and terrified to actually perform it. And uh, we were talking about emotional life. That's just a way of talking about feeling emotional life. Physical life talking about feeling through the body, etc. And he said, well, aren't there only, you know, two emotions, happy and sad? And then I said, think a minute. He said, oh, and mad? You know, and of course, there are many, 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 many more emotions than that. So he started out really, really shut down. But he kept coming to class. This was not 
easy to him. It was not something natural to his temperament, I guess. But he wanted to be able to perform these, these jokes he was writing. So he kept coming to class and he kept coming. And, you know, six months later, I'd see a softening. Nine months later, I'd say, okay, well, Dave, what about, what, what do you think you were radiating? What emotion were you radiating there? Was that one of the three? He'd go, no, no, that was longing. You know? Oh, that, that was lust. Oh, well, that was anxiety, right? Mm. So, you know, the, the, the variety of feeling, right? It was coming to him. It was just because of, there's a lot of exercises and structures in full spectrum improvisation. It's not you get up and fool around. You know, uh, that's not what we're doing. It's an art form. So there's a lot of practice involved and it pays off. So Dave now does stand up. <laughs> Has been for about five years. And is it working well for him? And he loves it. I don't think he makes much money, but who does? (laughs) But he's doing it regularly at that. You know, he has another day job, but he's been doing it regularly. And he's he's very funny. I'm talking with uh, Joya Corey here on Cover to Cover Javelin's Bistro 94.1 KPFA. So, in your book, what are some of the things that you cover? Oh God, it's very it's very broad. <laughs> the reason I call my work full spectrum improvisation rather is to distinguish it from comedy improv, which is extremely popular in the Bay Area and which, if you do it well, is wonderfully entertaining and uplifting. Um, but it's not what I want to do. I learned it when I was very young, um, but I found I had other things I wanted to express coming from the shadow side that wouldn't fit into a comedy improv structure. Um, so I started developing full spectrum, and one of the main elements that's different is that my work is still very body-based. Um, it's not head-based. So a lot of performers come to me who have studied comedy, improv, and acting because they want to, and this is a quote from a lot of people, get out of the head and into the body. Um, and what happens is that doesn't just affect your movement, which becomes way more expressive and free. It affects the way your brain works. Because if you're, if you're moving fully and if you are in a very deep, relaxed, near-trance state, your brain chemistry is altered. There's lots of research on this. It's in my book. It, there, I quote a whole lot of research, psychologists, so on, um, about the, the brain chemistry changes that come with, with not only with a lot of art forms, but with full spectrum, you get the, the brain chemistry changes from movement, get the endorphins and dopamine, um, Plus, the, both sides of the brain are working because we're using language fully, which comes from a different part of the brain than the movement impulses. So it's just, it's, it's very, um, for me, of course, I do, this, this is my love, so it, it's so satisfying and, and way more satisfying than I felt when I was doing comedy improv, which I just, it wasn't for me, you know, so yeah. Although improv is often very funny, improv is, it, it, you don't have to kind of worry about that. It's going to be funny just by the structure. But we also can deal with the shadow side of life. When you are doing the work in your workshops, do you also have performance afterwards that's open to the public? I did for many, many years. I haven't in the last couple of years. Um, I had a troupe for many years, which I hope to restart in several casts. Um, God started in the 80s. Um, called Lucky Dog Theater that was a full-spectrum improvisation troupe. And as I said, there were many iterations of the cast, and we performed in lots of places, all over the place. The um, 
the la the la most well that wasn't most recent but we were for a while the last Tuesday of every month at the marsh we were the last group they had there after that it was 2009 or 10 after that they went pure solo but we performed all kinds of places and traveled around and jails and, <laughs> and, and you're hoping to bring that back when you get when you return back to this to your yeah. work in April then I'm going to call if you'd like to be to take a class either in the East Bay or San Francisco to get free admission to Joya's class is 510-848-4425. That's 510-848-4425. So let's do two numbers for the callers. Caller number, you make a choice, Joya. Call, what oh, one in three? One in three. The choice is one in three today. Let's talk about improvisation and healing. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you have just gone through the loss of your husband. Oh. Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, and yeah. that was in... That was November 2017. So it's about 14 months since Richard died. 14 months. Some of people out there might know my husband is a well-known visual artist, Richard Kamler, mm-hmm. K-M-L-E-R. And uh, he had cancer and he had it actually for 12 years, but it, he would uh, have surgery and get up and keep moving. It was something, you know, it was thyroid cancer, which you can last a long time with. Mm-hmm. Um and do fine for a while, but then he it went into his lungs, and when they diagnosed that, he was dead in six weeks. Ugh, you have to watch out. I'm not going to cry here. Um, yeah, that's uh, the worst thing that ever happened to me, really. Um, we were together 46 years. We got married when our son was eight, and, uh, you know, marriage and partnership is not easy for anybody, and it wasn't easy for us, but... The kind of intimacy you get with all that time together and all that shared experience and the, the common values being both artists, you know, it's, a, it's it takes a long time to get that close. And I'm never going to do that again. I don't have that much time ahead of me. Um, so the grief is something really I, I like to talk about because it's just recently kind of coming into the public consciousness that we don't like to talk about grief in America. We don't like to even think we're going to die. I mean, nobody thinks they're going to die or, or that their best friend and most beloved person in the world is going to die. But he did. And the first few months, um, I didn't even know if I was going to survive, actually. The first few months, I felt like um, unmoored, you know, like uh, not connected to the, to this earth and... Um, I wrote a song <laughs> that we were going to try to play today. But. Yes, we definitely had some technical issues with it, and I had a chance to listen to the song Dancing, Dancing in the Living Room. Dancing in the Living Room. First time you ever wrote a song. Yeah. It came out of this grief. It came out of the, the, the grief, and um, actually, if people want to hear it, they can email me, or maybe I'll put it on my website. That's you should a good put it on your I'll website. put it on the website. I didn't just thought of that. So low-tech. Put it on the website, and you can, can listen to it. Um, yeah, it can't. I, I just have to give a little shout out here to the situation in which this developed the song. I went to a grief retreat put on by some people called the Jewish Healing Center, in, which is they have their office in San Francisco. They're wonderful, wonderful people, and they put on this weekend retreat. And they, it was 
fabulously healing. And um, it was only a few months ago, two months ago. And I met this woman who was teaching music there because they had all kinds of things you could do, all creative stuff. And she offered, her name is Kiki Lipset, and she offered a songwriting workshop and I was the only one who showed up, <laughs> which was fortunate for us as it turned out. And uh, she asked me questions like, what images do you have of Richard? And I closed my eyes and I saw us dancing in the living room and a melody came to me. And really what I, how this relates back to improvisation, is, that's improvisation. Mm-hmm. I, had, I stood up, I stretched for a moment, I closed my eyes and I just let my imagination roll and I let my heart and soul be open and my mind be open and it came to me. Because, you know, a, uh, an awful lot of, of what art is comes from the unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then when you edit it, you know, you can use both sides of the brain, the conscious mind and so on with technique. But... This came to me and I just started singing it. I had the lyrics and I had the melody and Kiki went to the piano and picked it out on the piano and, and kept playing and then asked me another question. Well, what about the next one? And then, and then we, we started collaborating so easily. You know, improvisational theater is probably the most collaborative thing you can do mm. other than maybe have a family. <laughs> but it's, it's extremely collaborative. Um, and so I... I know how to do that. I've done it for so long and taught it for so long. And Kiki knows how to do it. So we just connected. And um, we, were the, we were together for two hours, and we had this song. I mean, it's, it's developed since then. It's, it's more interesting now. But they were having a talent show that night at the retreat. And she said, you want to sing it? I said, absolutely. There's an audience here. I'm performing. <laughs> so I did. And I got a standing ovation. Of course, it's completely supportive audience. But... The song really, for me, marks kind of a period of grief that I think I'm now in an, another stage. I think I'm now past that. Not that I don't expect to ever not miss Richard. I will always miss Richard horribly. There's no doubt about that. But the darkness of it that so enveloped me for months. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just talking about Richard is very it's hard. A, it's a appropriate and we can we can always move the subject away from that if if that's what needs to happen for you okay one of the things i I will say uh in in honor of this the the music that you wrote with with kiki was that when you sent it to me to see if it was appropriate to play on the air and i listened to the song and immediately could hear this love letter to richard and the music and uh, you again i'm so happy that you're going to put it up on your website so that others can go there because there are people as we speak that are listening that are dealing with some level of of grief in their life and it doesn't have to be as extreme as is someone not being on the planet be the loss of anything people are feeling actually the loss of of their state in america people mm. are feeling a sense of the loss, loss of democracy the yeah. loss of de- the better way mm-hmm. to say it i appreciate mm-hmm. that a loss of democracy mm-hmm. and and what that might be like we who no one really walks around yeah. thinking about we could lose democracy because we're we've all been in a state of fighting for democracy. Yes, Everybody's forever. been always fighting for democracy to hold democracy as a truth. Yes. And then all of a sudden to be put in a situation where the possibility of losing democracy yeah. is like that never even occurred. That's right. And that grief that goes with that. Oh, the grief and the confusion and the disorientation and the anger. It's just, I, I have to say that when I, you know, the, the Trump does some other horrific thing, <laughs> mm. you know, I go and write in my journal, I turn them off. And, and, I, and in my 
work, I talk about politics. Mm-hmm. I talk. I talk about you know nothing's off limits to talk about. And you know you've just heard me crying a minute ago. My students sometimes cry in class. That's good. That's absolutely. fine. Absolutely. You know crying this is, is theater. Impor- you, you you said earlier that the people try to stay away from the grief and other challenging things inside, but we also try to stay away from tears. Yes, we try not we, to the, cry. Our immediate reaction is, right. "Oh, I'm sorry," and 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 we I get that. We all do that on on different levels. Yeah. But that again, what comes like like uh, in this mid- last minute and a half, you know, we honor, you know, as I started at the beginning of the show, the said this wonderful uh, girl woman in Houston, Texas, uh, Nadia Washington, who ran hysterically crying in her mother's bedroom that she's leaving eleven happy and moving on to something different. Right. Give out the website again, uh, Joya Corey. J-O-Y-A-C-O-R-Y dot com. And when do you think the classes are going to be held? They're going to start in mid-April. I'm having knee replacement surgery for you folks out there who know what that's like. So I'm not going to die, but I'm not going to be able to move very well for a while. So, um, yeah, it's a three-month recovery period, both knees. So April. And, you know, check the website or get on my mailing list. If you go to the website, get on the mailing list, then you'll see when I'm, I'm going to miss teaching. But I won't be able to do it for a little while. But I'll be writing another song and maybe another solo, something like that. Thank you, Joe Flynn. You're welcome. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you for being there for our listening audience and those who want some improv in their life. Go to Joya's website, look at it, sign for class, and dance through your life. (laughs) Until next time. Thank you. Blessings. Yes. Bye-bye. are listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K24HBR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. A quick reminder that your local station board elections are happening now. Please visit kpfa.org or elections.pacifica.org to read candidate statements and more information about the election. You are eligible to vote if you donated a minimum of $25 between October 2nd, 2017 and November 19th, 2018. Look out for your ballot via email or post mail starting January 21st, 2019. Have questions? Contact the local election supervisor by emailing les.kpfa at pacifica.org.